Hey all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid if you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. What are we waiting for? Action! Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Now we're talking business. Let's talk business. Yeah, let's talk business. Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? What I'm talking about is... Wait, what am I talking about? The buzz. The buzz. The whatever is an offshoot of the buzz. I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. We have a new category this year. Best film ever made by a human being. You should have got Oscar. Uh, hey, man, I'm not- Who are you working for? The Knutsons. Who, who, who the f are the Knutsons? The Knutsons. Uh, he's a big movie sink about big men in tights. Roll that mother camera, Wolfie. Kiss my ass. Yeah! We like movies. This is business, and this man has taken it very, very personal. Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies uh, Emmy Night Edition. The Emmys are going on right now, Matt. Did you know that? I'm so out of the loop when it comes to, well, television and television broadly, but the Emmys specifically. Like, I couldn't tell you who's nominated. I probably haven't seen most of the shows. I'm, I gotta be honest, I'm a little bit of a movie snob, and the Emmys yep. are just never a priority for me. I've actually been to the Emmys before, weirdly. Mm -hmm. um, as a seat filler uh, many years back, but I couldn't tell you the last time. I, I mean, that was the last time I watched an Emmy telecast, and that might be the only time in my life I've ever actually sat through an entire Emmy telecast. Well, say what you will about the Oscars and how political it might be and, you know, the best movie doesn't always win. Uh, that is exponentially the case when it comes to the Emmys. The Emmys is a terrible, terrible awards program and the, the, the best show almost never wins. You know, Seinfeld, I think, won one or zero, you know, like best comedy. I mean, like it, it's a goddamn joke. Yeah, it, it, I, I remember it winning once. And the only re reason I remember this is because Jerry gave a really good speech and he started it off with, my name is Jerry Seinfeld. Well, I guess I have watched the Emmys before because I remember this. <laughs> I remember watching this speech in real time. And he, he goes up to the microphone and he says, My name is Jerry Seinfeld and I am a bad actor. But I have been smart <laughs> enough to surround myself with fantastic actors for the run of this show. And this award, you know, belongs to all of them or something to that effect. It was yeah, actually yeah. a very sweet speech. That's, that's right. But, he is not a good actor. And but, that's, that's right. <laughs> and I guess it's proof positive that he has done nothing since Seinfeld ended besides, I mean, he's obviously continue to stand-up career, and he doesn't have to work again if he doesn't want to. The only thing he's done since Seidfeld is B-movie, right? Oh, and, and Comedian. I guess he, he did that documentary Comedian. I mean, Comedians and Cargan and Coffee is mm. his thing now. Yes, whatever, that's right, right, that's right. And that doesn't require any acting, he, he was on that run of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, I don't know why we're going through Jerry's filmography, <laughs> Matt. It seems a little off-topic. Um, but we, we got to just briefly talk about Game of Thrones and Succession, because those are obviously the two, those are the two uh, shows that will be, I mean, that, they got to be the two frontrunners, right? I'm out of the loop. I've got no idea. I assume Game of Thrones is probably going to win, but that just shows you people are so angry at the final season, yet it's still probably going to win. I don't, I, I don't know. Are you planning on watching? Is that why you brought it up? Or are you just trying to be topical? I was just trying to be topical, and I just noticed that it was uh, happening tonight, uh, minutes before uh, we, you know, we got on the phone together. So. Well, speaking of topicality, we are uh, stepping away from our uh, usual retrospectating and uh, talking about some present tense stuff for a change. Yeah, and I think this will happen more often in the next few months with award seasons picking up and just uh, a slew, a slate, a spate of... Uh, big time movies coming out one after the other uh, over the next three months which is which is pretty exciting and, and we'll get to the festival stuff and all the movies that premiered and the reviews that came out uh, with them but first I guess let's start with with Ad Astra which we both saw this weekend and what's your relationship with uh, James Gray like do you have a history with James Gray how many of his films have you seen you know I, I don't have much of a history to be honest I really loved Lost City of Z I think it made my honorable mention two years ago in our top 10 list maybe it was number 10 or 9 on my list like I, I can't remember boy was it that long i for some reason i keep thinking the lost city of z was last year but i guess you're probably right that probably was at least two years ago yeah maybe three but uh no it's probably no, two, probably two years, ago. years ago yeah but yeah. so good on gray for being able to turn around 
another equally ambitious project so quickly. Yeah, and it seems like this movie was filmed immediately after Lost City. I think this movie was filmed like two years ago. Yeah, it's summer, summer of 2017. So yes, I think you're exactly right. And it's interesting for Gray to go from you know, a film that was shot in the jungle, you know, like on location in the jungle to a film that was shot almost 100% on a soundstage. Like I yeah. think some of the lunar stuff they shot out in Death Valley, but it sounds like for the most part, this thing was, was mostly shot on a soundstage in Santa Clarita. But, but Gray has said that he considered this, he considered this an even more challenging film uh, logistically than The Lost City of Z was which is saying a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. So just to go through his filmography, I, I've not seen Little Odessa. I have seen The Yards way back when. I don't remember much about it. I saw We Own the Night. I, I think I was pretty lukewarm. And I haven't seen Two Lovers or The Immigrants. And I really like Lost City of Z. How about you, Matt? So you've seen more than I have. I mean, this is the only... The thir- I've seen uh, The Yards, uh, The Lost City of Z, and now Ad Astra. So Gray has really not been on my radar, although he should be because he is... A- an extraordinarily well-respected American auteur, really. I mean, yeah, he he's you know he comes right out of the gate with Little Odessa. I think he made that movie when he was, when he was like 25, like right. Out, he's a he's a New York guy, but he went to USC film school and he yeah. made a short that got a lot of attention when he was at USC and it got him an agent and it basically got him financing for his first feature very quickly. So yeah. I mean, he's been rocking and rolling for the last 25 years, making films that uniformly are critically respected at the very least and and he is an author i mean he's written and directed all of his movies 100 percent. he's got a co-writing credit on this movie with uh with a guy who's best known for having written four episodes of fringe yeah i was wondering if he brought him on for more for some of the sciencey stuff because the guy was also like a consulting producer story editor on fringe as well so okay maybe an interesting connection there but uh yeah i mean it, it seems for a guy who had been an auteur and none of his movies before really Lost City of Z had had lent themselves to big budgets that him going from sort of, you know, art house to a big ass science fiction movie starring Brad Pitt was going to be a bit of a stretch. And, you know, I, I guess it's the cynic would say it's indicative of, of Fox's uh, fall and <laughs> purchased by Disney. And this is one of their very final releases that's coming out. Who knows if if this would have happened under another studio, but... I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad he got the green light on this thing. I mean, that's a really interesting point. Do you do you think this is like one of the last times we're going to get to sit in a movie theater and see the 20th Century Fox fanfare and logo? We, we, you know, we won't. We don't get it with Star Wars anymore. No. The way that we used to. I mean, that that actually makes me kind of sad. That is one of you know one of the all time iconic studio bumpers. It is, and I I read an article about the last remaining films in the can and. One of them is The New Mutants, which probably isn't going to ever see the light of day, it seems like. Uh, there might be one or two other stragglers, but this is definitely one of the last ones and probably the best of the last ones for sure. It is uh, indicative of the fact that Fox and Disney were both clearly happy with the end result here, that they did still, you know, that because they're, you know, New Mutants is a good example. They're famously shelving a lot of stuff. They're, re- they're shuffling certain things around. They might just completely drop certain things that they're not, you know, like you look at something like Dark Phoenix and what a fiasco that was. Yeah, and they did not put a ton of marketing behind Dark Phoenix because they knew it sucked and it was sort of a you know lost cause. But they did seemingly put a good bit of marketing behind Ad Astra. And this and this is a you know relatively expensive film. I mean, somewhere between ninety and a hundred million is what is what has been reported. And it seems like about twenty of that was reshoots because after some like bad early test screenings, they apparently went back to the drawing board. I would love to hear from gray how much you know what was reshot because apparently brad pitt wasn't involved with the reshoot like he wasn't available for the reshoots so how much of it was just a double you know in a spacesuit, or how much of it was just working on the special effects yeah it's interesting that the test audiences responded negatively to it and that gray was able to go to fox and get an extra 20 million dollars that's a pretty big number for reshoots i will be interested to see how this film fares over the next couple of weeks financially, I have an inkling that this is probably not going to be a financial success. I mean, it's already critically very respected, as almost all of Gray's films are. But I'd be shocked if this thing made its money back. Yeah, it, it's sitting at, uh, you made $20 million this weekend, estimated, for, you know, barely beat Rambo for the number two spot, lost to Downton Abbey. Exactly. Made $25 million internationally. And so, you know, big space movies from America tend to do pretty well overseas, so maybe we'll make 
a good amount of that back. But yeah, it doesn't look like it's tracking to be any kind of financial success. Plus, it's an esoteric space movie, right? I mean, obviously, a lot of people have been comparing it to Interstellar, which is valid. I mean, Interstellar is kind of an anomaly, though, because that is surprising how big that movie was considering how, what a challenging and long film. It's just, I guess, it's just a testament to McConaughey and Nolan's star power. It's, it's yeah, I think it's just Nolan's star power, Nolan's big event movie thing that uh, seems like he and James Cameron only have. But, I uh, mean, you know, this movie also made me think about both versions of Solaris and particularly Soderbergh's remake, mm-hmm. which was quite weird. Uh, James Cameron produced, interestingly enough. But that movie also, you know, famously quite a flop yeah so it will not surprise me if this movie ends up being a financial failure and i think that is really going to uh, potentially impinge on its oscar prospects because i just don't see this movie reaching as wide an audience as i would have hoped yeah that's possible i suppose the word of mouth might not be great you know people expecting a sort of space romp action movie and they're getting something more uh ruminative contemplative yeah ruminative <laughs> seemingly profound but i don't know i, I think it's oscar merits are, are still there and i guess we can get into uh what this movie does well later but i'm sort of upset that this movie hasn't isn't going to be a a big hit it feels like it should be heralded as kind of a masterpiece but you know the reviews are up there I mean, an 80 Metacritic is pretty fucking good, but I'm not seeing or hearing people talk about it. Like, I went to the late show at the IMAX Science Center mm-hmm. on Friday night, uh, 9.45, not an unreasonable time, and uh, it was about a third full the yeah. IMAX. So, I mean, that's I, I guess that's just sort of indicative of where this movie's at. Yeah, I went on Friday night as well. It wasn't a particularly, uh, you know, good theater. It wasn't a particularly big theater. It wasn't, you know, certainly wasn't an IMAX, but it wasn't a busy part of town. And yeah, I think there was half a dozen of us in there Friday night at 745. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this ends up playing out. I think this movie is kind of a masterpiece. Like, I think this movie is kind of amazing. This is far and away the best film I've seen so far this year. I love this movie so much. I can't wait to go see it again on an IMAX screen. And I am just so fucking beside myself with... I'm so happy for Brad Pitt this year. Even as somebody who wasn't crazy about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think he's probably going to get nominated for this as well. And he's probably going to win for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood based on the strength of this incredible year that he's having. Yeah, Matt, you know, we've been disagreeing a little more often recently, but we're not going to here. Yeah, I fucking love this movie. This is really all I want from a movie. I was talking with friends before seeing it. It's like, I just want more space movies. Like, I'm obsessed (laughs) with space movies. I want ruminative. I want profound. I want just kind of slow-moving, beautiful space movies. And this is exactly what that is. You see some people complaining about plot a little bit. And maybe it's sort of anticlimactic. And it's all about daddy issues. None of that stuff is is holding much water for me. I, I think this movie, despite it being slow, I guess not really action-packed although there are some really great set pieces this movie never lingers this movie never stops chugging along even if that pace is 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 not you know maybe what people were hoping for or expecting it's also not long you know I mean what what is it two hours and three minutes or something I mean it, it is certainly deliberate yeah but the subject matter I think sort of calls for that especially considering how like geographically how much <laughs> how much yeah. um you know area is covered i mean he, re- he literally goes from the earth to the moon to mars and then to neptune i mean he he travels a long way he travels a long way and it's uh it is so beautiful yeah throughout i mean this is some of the best space photography i've ever seen i mean there are some you know you talk about interstellar or 2001 or you know any of the star wars i guess but just some of the visuals and seeing this in a in a pure imax was uh you know something i can't recommend highly enough and i think i'll just be going back by myself at some point in the next week or two i'm really excited to see it on a on a big screen on a bigger screen um it, it is significant to point out that this was shot by the great hoyt van hoytema who also shot interstellar you know he's no he's nolan's guy now um and it is so beautiful and the special effects are truly incredible. I mean, $100 million is not a cheap movie, but this movie looks like it costs twice that. I mean, yeah. it's really it's really something to behold. And there's just so many sequences that are just going to stay with me forever. Just like really interesting, haunting visions of space. You know, like I can't stop thinking about Brad Pitt pulling himself along through this, or I'm sorry, under underground lake on Mars. Yeah. 
Like yeah. it's just, it's just, I mean, it's just, I've never seen anything like that before. Or, you know, quite possibly the best sequence in the movie, like this lunar rover chase sequence. <laughs> like, yeah. there's literally like space pirates in this movie. At one point, they, they go, <laughs> they have to battle space pirates on Mars, and it's fucking awesome. And it, and it makes me just want to see that movie. Like, let's just see an entire movie about why pirates have, have popped up on the moon. That's the, the, that's the big point I want to make about this movie is despite it being very sort of insular in that it's about Brad Pitt and his journey. And we, we don't see a lot of people discussing Brad Pitt or what he's going to do or like Mish Control, sort of the opposite of the Martian in that way, right? Like it, it, it's just focused solely on him and all the action that takes place that affects him. We don't see, right? But it just hints at all these other stories and like the world building here is, is so fantastic. Yeah. Like I, you know, I'd watch a movie about that fucking, about the moon base and the space pirates and the secret rocket base on the dark side of the moon. Yes. I'd, I'd watch a movie about the, you know, the 1100 person Mars base and how lonely it is and people who were born there, you know, with Ruth Nega. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The fact that Ruth Nega, that's such an amazing moment when she says that she was born on Mars and has only been to the earth, to the earth once. Like, wow, that, Yes, let's see. I want to see that entire story. Yeah, and how about a whole movie about the Norwegian biological mission with the space monkeys? <laughs> I'd watch. I watch an entire you know four part miniseries about that. Oh my god! There's space pirates and space monkeys in this movie. I had heard I'd got spoiled by someone about both the existence of both those things, and okay. like, oh, how how is that gonna not seem ridiculous? But. It doesn't. Neither of those things seem ridiculous or out of place or or all that crazy uh, within this world. I mean, the, it's you know the monkeys are jarring and the and the pirates are a little bit jarring, but none of it is silly. The monkeys are shocking. You know, like that's a scary sequence, and I, it it I'm, I'm not using hyperbole when I said I literally my jaw literally dropped in the theater in in a good way. Like I did not see that coming whatsoever. Did it not been spoiled for me at all? But yeah, just I just am so overcome with a sense of kind of melancholy after having seen this film because I'm with you. I want more of this. This is exactly what I want more of, but I also feel like this is this movie is an endangered species. Like I want more of this, but we're actually going to get less of this moving forward, especially when this film ends up not being a huge hit. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I'm sorry to have to say that out loud, but just just being realistic, like something that's not, you know, we will obviously get plenty more space movies. We'll get we're never going to stop getting Star Wars movies. But these kinds of science fiction films, I do think, are going to be a bit of an endangered species moving forward. Have you seen High Life yet, Matt? I did. I liked High Life very much. This is a pretty good one-two punch of space movies. Fair, yeah. I feel like there are a couple more uh, in production that I can't really pull out off the top of my head right now. Yeah, you're probably right. And that's and that's sad. Yeah. Um, Again, it goes back to sort of how it's kind of crazy that this movie was made to begin with because it's not like Lost City of Z. I like I can't imagine that movie made money either. No, but it was an enormous critical darling. I actually wasn't crazy about Lost City of Z. I probably need to give it a rewatch because I know so many people loved it and I wasn't. It just didn't really do it for me. As a matter of fact, going into this movie, even though I was interested in the subject matter, I'm always interested in what Pitt's doing. I just didn't really feel like I was a James Gray fan go ahead I mean having only seen two of his movies neither of which I loved but I know so many people are just crazy about James Gray particularly um European critics like he's always done better in Europe than he has over here critically and commercially so uh, I was like I don't really get what all the fuss is about with Gray but seeing this and loving this so much not only makes me want to go revisit Lost City of Z it makes me want to watch his entire like maybe this guy is a is a qualifier for an, for an oeuvre series someday. I don't Ooh, know if he, I don't know oeuvre. if he's made enough movies. We usually try to keep it, you know, ten plus, but he's getting there. He's getting close. Yeah, and he's you know he's not that old yet, so it's early fifties. I want to say. Yeah, you don't want to do it mid career either, right? He's a really exactly. He's a really interesting dude. I just listened to Sean Fantasy um, interview him on the Big Picture podcast, and uh, do if you're interested in him or interested in this film or just like to hear a good interview, he, he's just a fascinating dude. And, uh, and he's had a really interesting career and he's just very, I don't know, he's just a very thoughtful guy, you know, obviously yeah. extraordinarily smart and well-read, but just sort of an interesting dude. He was thought of as, you know, making so many of those kind of like gritty New York crime thrillers for so long. We own the night and the yards and little Odessa and stuff. I just think it's so cool that he's expanding into period <laughs> Amazonian yeah. epics and ambitious intellectual space operas i i love it when when auteurs get to a point in their career where, where it's inevitable for them to finally make their science fiction movie I feel yeah. like all you know like <laughs> like solaris seems like oh of course soderbergh's now at a point in his career where he needs to make his science fiction film and that movie 
was not a critical success, was not a commercial success, but it's one of my favorite films of the last 20 years. And I think it's one of his best films. And I feel like it's also a movie that has been sort of reevaluated, uh, even though it was ignored at the time. Who's the next auteur that you would like to see make a space movie? That oh, boy. Paul Thomas Anderson's There you space go. Movie? Yeah, perfect. Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, what, a great, what a great idea. And even, you know, you mentioned Claire Denis' High Life, which came out earlier this year, which is a weird, crazy sexy movie check it out if you haven't seen that it movie, it's yeah. a crazy film and it's like yeah of course claire denis yes she's a she's an auteur and she's at the right place in her career time for her to make her science fiction movie and she made the kind of science fiction movie that could only come from her brain i can't imagine anybody else making a movie <laughs> like that it's 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 bonkers oh and it's got you know one of the stars of lost city of z uh, robert pattinson who's having an incredible run as well it's all gonna get better when he becomes the batman exactly yeah and and he's <laughs> cur- speaking of nolan he's currently shooting tenet in India with Nolan, which I could not possibly be more excited for. Ad Astra, which the opening credits tells us is Latin for uh, To the Stars, mm-hmm. which is great. Do you ultimately feel that this is a an optimistic film or a pessimistic film? Anybody who sees this film, I'm going to ask them this question because I think both answers are right, but I think it says more about you know, the viewer and, mm-hmm. and their interpretation of it. Did you walk out of this? I mean, I walked to this movie feeling sort of melancholy about the fact that I'm probably not going to get to see many more of this kind of film. But yeah. I also walked out of it feeling like the movie ended on an optimistic note. But then a, a buddy of mine texted me yesterday uh, who went to go see it because I'd recommended it to him. And his text was just, Jesus, more like sad Astra. Am I right? <laughs> um, I, I do think it ends on an optimistic note, right? And one of the things I loved about this movie was I, I've read some reviews comparing it to some like Malick in space, right? There's that's, I got that in my notes right here. Malick E type voiceovers, but it doesn't get overly profound. It doesn't get too precious ever. It's all pretty simple when it, you boil it down. Like there are some pretty big themes going on in this movie, but it is kind of a simple like journey to find your father journey to find yourself what are you really looking for in life? Um, you know, what are the limits of stoicism? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I think what happens at the end of this movie is Brad Pitt has come to terms with he's not going to find what he wants in terms of his relationship with his father or, you know, how he views his own personal ambitions. He's come to terms that he's not going to find any answers he's going to like and that he can sort of retreat and go back and maybe enjoy life as uh, as you should enjoy it and have a more modest existence. I'm with you all the way. I mean, I've, I've been thinking so much about fatherhood recently, uh, spending some time with a friend of the podcast, Ryan Julio, who just recently uh, had a son named Colin, and I've been hanging out over at their place more often and seeing him interacting with his son and just thinking so much about all of this baggage that's going to eventually <laughs> develop over the course of their career you know and and i don't even necessarily mean that as a bad thing i mean how can there not be baggage between fathers and sons between children and their parents yeah you could you could say that this is relatively well trod territory for films like this i mean honestly interstellar is is all about that so mm-hmm. this the metaphor of having to like cross the galaxy to come to terms with the baggage you have with your parents is not necessarily a new thing but this movie just deals with it in a very elegant way and asks some really interesting questions about it and if you're going to have like the specter of this father figure who the, the discovery of whom will form the climax of the movie, you're in a pretty good position if you get Tommy Lee Jones in that role, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people have compared this to Apocalypse, you know, Apocalypse Now in Space or the way Grace says it, you know, heart, heart of darkness in space, really, sure. right? To go back to the source material. And it's 100% the same narrative trajectory as that, which works really, really well. I mean, down to the the voiceover, which is very, you know, reminiscent of Martin Sheen's voiceover in, in Apocalypse Now. And in that movie, you obviously have the specter of Brando. Eventually, we're going to get to Brando, and it's, you know, you need to have somebody who is, like, literally and figuratively a huge figure at the end of that river, right? So you got Tommy Lee Jones here, and he is fantastic in this movie, as usual, and I feel like just like one more scene with him, and you'd he would really be an Oscar contender. Like he's got a couple of incredible monologues in this, and a couple of incredible moments. He's just like ninety percent of the way towards like a true supporting actor 
standout performance, right? Yeah, it's it's a pretty small role, but you can view the ending as sort of somewhat anticlimactic. I, I do like how quickly they sort of went through the third act, right? But I think that ties into sort of the, the themes of the of the movie, which is you're not going to get some sort of sweet relief at the end of this. Like, it, it, it's, it's going to be a little anticlimactic. Like, you're not going to find exactly what you're looking for. The whole literally letting go of your father thing, sure, maybe it's a little on the nose <laughs> at the end of the movie. But the thing is, like, this movie movie isn't only about the father or something it's not only an elaborate parable or metaphor like it's a awesome space movie on top of that with a real plot and questions about humanity and existence and personal ambitions and a whole host of other things so i think it hit just the right notes with the father son thing and there's no complaint from me in, in that regard at all no no i mean i think it I, this movie pretty does pretty much everything right that it sets out to do and i'm not complaining i mean I'm, of course i always want more tommy lee jones in my life yeah but i just can't I, I can't help but have my Oscar prognosticator hat on at this time <laughs> yeah. of year, especially because he's on my team. Oh, I see. I see. I get it now. <laughs> but, it just, it. but it just doesn't feel like that. It just feels like, you know, Marlon Brando didn't get Oscar nominated for Apocalypse Now either. I don't think. You're right. It, it does fall short of something meaty enough, you'd think, for, for awards nominations. It just true. seems like that kind of character. It's like, yes, that's that's right. And ironically, it would have ended up being Brad Pitt versus Tommy Lee Jones in that category because, of course, he's, he'll get nominated for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But but aren't you kind of glad that there's no like insane Bond villain speech at the end of this thing or something more violent or like a, a, a bigger clash? Like I, I think that would have felt wrong. I think that would have felt false. Yeah, I agree. No, I I, I just think this movie's fucking pitch perfect. Like I I know this is boring to just gush like this and not be a little more incisive about it, but I yeah, I think this movie does pretty much everything right. I can't say enough good things about it. I just absolutely loved it. There there's a couple of moments that felt a little bit far fetched to me when he um you know sort of infiltrates the rocket at the last minute and then there's an ensuing sort of scuffle with the crew. That to me was like the only point of the movie where I was, where it just was just like, okay, this I'm I'm not quite. I mean, the movie it kind of gets away with it, and it has to get away with it because narratively we need he needs to be by himself in the craft to go see his yeah. dad. But the movie does turn itself into narrative knots a little tiny bit during that scene where I was just like, all right, this is get this is getting a little silly. That's a pretty minor problem. Other things I liked in this movie, uh, Donald Sutherland gets a good bit of screen time, and he's he's, he's wonderful. Pretty- He's wonderful. God, Donald Sutherland. I just, uh, just not unlike Tommy Lee Jones. P.S. That's also a Space Cowboys reunion, mm-hmm. uh, even though they don't have any <laughs> scenes together. I just, I'm, I'm always so happy when Donald Sutherland pops up on screen, and that guy just is incapable of delivering a false note. He is just so goddamn authentic. I just buy every everything that comes out of his mouth in every film I've ever seen him in. You just want to trust him and hug him and hang out on the porch with him, you know? Even, even when he's playing, you know, quote-unquote bad guys, like in Backdraft, where he plays, you know, the arsonist, I just hang on his every word. I just think he's so interesting on screen, always. You know, even in something silly like The Hunger Games, he's wonderful, and he's he, he's never won an Oscar. You know, he's such a sturdy character actor that we maybe don't give him the amount of credit he deserves. He's had an, he's had a really interesting career. You're going to have to put a note before this podcast that there are Backdraft spoilers. <laughs> That he's a bad guy. Is that even a spoiler? I I haven't seen Backdraft forever. He's clearly the arsonist from the beginning. No, no, no. Um, no. He's not. He's actually not the bad. No, he's. I don't know how deeply we need to go down the Backdraft. We don't. He he basically plays an arsonist who has been captured by Robert De Niro. And then Billy Baldwin goes to him to try to get some information. He's not the villain of the movie. But he is a bad guy because he's he's burned a lot of people alive. Okay, that's enough backdraft talk. No, and the other thing I like, and th- and th- this was like kind of a side plot, but it really is sort of devastating in its own way. Just the whole implications of Tommy Lee Jones being out there and the the mission not finding anything, and you know the existential crisis of humans are maybe alone in the universe and what that might mean being the sort of you know the whole impetus for Tommy Lee Jones going a little bit crazy I think that's great stuff and they didn't they didn't hammer it too much but I think it was just enough to just add another layer to the movie like coming to that conclusion you know we are alone or whatever is why I could totally understand people who walk out of this film thinking that it's hopeless or you know that it ends on a pessimistic note like that's why I think the ending can go 
either way, depending on your philosophical outlook. Like, oh my God, we really are. <laughs> like, we are all we have. I think that may be one of the final lines of the movie. Something that I wrote down, like, I wasn't the asshole who, who opens up his phone and starts taking notes, but the minute I got up and walked to the lobby, the first thing I did was open up the notes on my phone and write down, I will focus on the essential to the exclusion of all else. It's one of the final things he says in his voiceover, and for some reason that just really resonated with me. Like, what a seemingly simple and yet sort of complex statement that is you know treatise yeah. on his on his character and his mindset yeah and that's the that's the character growth character growth in the movie that the, what he is deemed essential has changed throughout the runtime it's great and now now he'll go back to Liv Tyler who you know you could say that Liv Tyler is wasted in this movie or that she doesn't have much to do but that is kind of the function of that character right she she can't really be a real character until literally and figuratively comes back, you know, mentally and physically comes back to her and sees her as a, as a, as an option. Yeah. And, and maybe this is silly, but she's pretty perfect for the role just because the way she looks is kind of, you know, spectral or like yeah, sort of played an elf, right? Almost ghostly. Like she, you know, she is more of an idea than a real person. Her stuff works really well. And you could, you know, you can imagine how hard it would be to, go to Neptune and leave live Tyler on Earth. Sure. All right, Matt, should we stop gushing and, and, and move on to part two of the podcast? Yeah, just last two little bits of gushing, Max Richter and Lauren Balfe's score. I'm not exactly yeah. sure why Max Richter gets composer credit and Lauren Balfe gets credit that's like additional score. I mean, I love both of those guys. I must imagine maybe it was a scheduling thing. I, I doubt very much it was a creative problem. But yeah. but boy, isn't I mean, Embarrassment of Riches, two of my favorite composers, and the, their score is phenomenal, truly haunting. And then just like the sort of runner of the, the psych evaluations that go, yeah. out, go through. I just thought, what an interesting little runner. What an interesting um, kind of observation about the potential future. You know, that there's constant psych evaluations that you could, they could potentially affect the trajectory of your career if you don't say the right thing. The fact that they're feeding all the astronauts, you know, mood stabilizers when they're en route. I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, it's a really great stuff. And it's just part of the part of the world building and, and how, how real and how much depth there is to everything that James Gray has has created here. And, then, you know, not 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 hammering any aspect of that too hard. So it's all kind of just filled in on the periphery, but it all works perfectly. Um, just to quote John Anderson from his review of the film in The Wall Street Journal. To lavish too much praise on Mr. Pitt's performance would be to somehow suggest he isn't already among the best actors on screen. He is, period. And uh, and I have to agree with that. I mean, again, if you're into this movie or if you're into Pitt, go listen to that most recent episode of The Big Picture because they, they rank their favorite Pitt performances. And uh, this is going to go down as one of the best years in his career. Because, as I said, he's probably going to get nominated for both of these films. Um, and he's, you know, he's a producer on this movie as well. He's a producer on The Lost City of Z. You know, Brad Pitt has three acting nominations, and then he has three producing nominations. And his only win is for producing uh, 12 Years a Slave. So I don't think we give Brad Pitt enough credit for being such a fantastic actor. And I also don't think we give him enough credit for being just a really smart entertainment industry stalwart. You know, like, he's just a smart guy with great taste. Well, I think we do. <laughs> The royal we. Do you see what he's uh, one of his next rumored movies is? I did not. Tell me. Babylon, written and directed by Damien Chazelle, starring oh. Brad Pitt and Emma Stone. Oh, that's exciting. Yes, I did. I, I mean, I, I heard that Emma Stone was involved, and I didn't realize Brad Pitt was. That's great. Rumored. Rumored. But uh, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? It only took Chazelle four movies to get to his space epic. Yeah. Although it's, you know, I, that movie doesn't actually get to space. Until very late in the running time, I suppose. All right, so if we're going to talk Oscars, or we're going to talk festival season and awards. I just had a list of all the films that I feel are relevant to this conversation that have premiered or screened at one of the three recent festivals, Venice, Telluride, and Toronto. I have them organized alphabetically, so of course Ad Astra comes first in this conversation. How do you feel about this film's Oscar prospects, considering that it is so critically beloved it features maybe one of the best performances of Pitt's career and yet not enough people are probably going to see it much as we probably don't want to admit it box office really does affect oscar prospects so here's what it has going for it it's got brad pitt in a big brad pitt here james gray is clearly very well respected potentially the whole narrative of one of the very last fox movies that might be there and it's also a great fucking movie and it's one of the best reviewed movies of the year so my prediction right now would it'll be you know the eighth or ninth best picture nominee maybe with a screenplay 
nomination, maybe with a uh, Brad Pitt Best Actor nomination. Almost certainly with a Brad Pitt Best Actor nomination. But you're planning a, you're planning a flag in Best Picture. I think so. The, you know, the only problem is, you know, we're gonna go through the list, but there's a f- lot of competition this year. It's heat, heating up. And you know, we'll go through these lists of movies that you know premiered at festivals. It seemed like there for a couple of weeks that every single big premiere that came out was getting crazy good reviews, and even some that we weren't expecting to get crazy good reviews uh, were receiving them. So we'll see how this all shakes out, and we still got a few big ones that haven't uh, that no one's seen yet. So you know, the competition could prove too fierce, and with a lackluster box office, people could forget about it. But I think this movie's too good to ignore, and it's nice to have a space epic in there. So I'm going to say Best Picture. I uh, I appreciate that. I'm not nearly as optimistic as you. I think actor, cinematography, you know, maybe visual effects. But I, I actually would be quite surprised if this movie ended up in, as a Best Picture contender, unfortunately. A film that I think we all sort of presumed would be a Best Picture frontrunner, and now I'd say it's ever so slightly more on the bubble because of a respectful but somewhat tepid response at Toronto is um, Mario Heller's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. yeah. The second, uh, the second film about Fred Rogers in as many years. Yeah, I mean, this movie got good reviews, and people think that Tom Hanks has a shot to more than get nominated, but maybe win his first Best Actor in a long time. Uh, this movie's actually better reviewed than Ad Astra, according to Metacritic. Man, <laughs> fair enough. Um, I, interestingly, if they they're they're planning to run Hanks in supporting. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, because I think Matthew Rees is is the de facto lead of the film, so it, it will be Brad Pitt versus Tom Hanks in that category, which is kind of interesting. We all know that Hanks is always great, and who's surprised that he's great in this film and great in this role? I mean, I'm very intrigued by it. I like Matthew Rees a lot. I wasn't crazy about Mariel Heller's last film. Will you ever? Can you ever forgive me? But I certainly have a lot of respect for her, and I'm intrigued by this project. It just yeah. it, it didn't win, you know, like it didn't win the uh, you know the audience award. We'll, we'll get to the audience award winner from Toronto here in a second. But that this is the kind of film that seemed like if it was going to break out as a best picture front runner and really was going to capture people's attention, it would have needed to um, to win that, you know, to be part of the conversation for that audience award. And I don't believe it really was. Yeah, and. You know, as much as I want to get excited about this movie, I really can't. I wasn't excited about the last Mr. Rogers. I got nothing against Mr. Rogers, <laughs> but I don't know. It, it, it seems a little, a little saccharine for my taste. But sure. apparently, the direction they take in this movie is, you know, it, it's about the journalist, less so about Mr. Rogers. So who knows? I, I'll definitely see it, but uh, I wouldn't be upset if this sort of was on the bubble and didn't get nominated. What was the film with Jesse Eisenberg and Jason Siegel about? Um the guy who wrote yeah. Infinite Jest, uh, the, la- uh, uh, the, the road sh- the, the-, the last something. Great. Oh. This is a great podcast right here. But, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, if, if my... David Foster Wallace Dave, movie. Yeah. I mean, if my my laptop wasn't uh, sort of malfunctioning at the moment, I, I would look it up on IMDb, so I'll have to rely on you for that. But um, I'm getting very strong vibes for this, that it's a, a much, you know, kind of a similar, you know, a guy being very skeptical about the person he's going to interview and then being completely sort of like won over by him and uh, his life changes as a result of the extended interview and relationship. The end of the tour. The end of the tour is what it's called, yeah. So next on my list, I have Bad Education, which is a movie that was not on my radar until it premiered at Toronto the other day to rave reviews. And all of a sudden, Hugh Jackman sort of landed in the Best Actor conversation and then just as swiftly uh, was erased from the Oscar conversation because this film has been bought by HBO. So no this, shit. So, so I this... picked him up for no reason in our Film Fantasy Fest? <laughs> well, I, telling me? I don't blame you for picking him up. I mean, it seemed right. right? Yeah, everybody loves Hugh Jackman. It sounds like this is going to be an interesting role for him and a movie that everybody seemed to really, really like. But this movie will not see theaters. He is wow. no longer a contender. Sorry. That is devastating. How did I miss that news? I need to take a walk around the block. Pissed off. You need to take a little time for yourself. Yeah. All right. So, so moving on. Uh, next, I have uh, uh, Clemency, which is the uh, Alfre Woodard film that came out to raves at Sundance, and everybody was, um, you know, talking about how wonderful Alfre Woodard was, despite the film's very, very dark subject matter. And it seems like there's just not, I mean, it, it, Alfred Woodard is so respected. And, I, you know, I picked her up for my team because I was like, yes, this is the time. Let's celebrate Alfred Woodard. She's never been Oscar nominated before. And that's, and that's ludicrous. Um, seemed like the right film, the right role, the right time in her career. And yet I, this, this movie is just not popping up on short lists. And yeah. she honestly isn't either, which which surprises the hell out of me. I guess it must just, I mean, I think everybody agrees that she's fantastic, but I guess this might be a situation not unlike Harriet, which is also on this list, where 
the subject matter is interesting. The lead is fantastic, but the movie is just fine. You know, yes. like it seems like Just Mercy is also a, a, a movie that's sort of falling into that category of like, wow, great performances, movie, fine. Just, you know, good. Lowercase g, good. Yeah, and I, I feel, yeah, this is in that genre for best actress nominations where, yeah, yeah, the, the movie gets no love, no one really sees it, and there's the best actress nomination sort of out of nowhere. And it feels like it's always Julianne Moore. Where this happens too. Um. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she she won her Oscar for one of those movies where everybody's like, "Yeah, movie's fine. She's wonderful as always." Was that just Alice? That was another one, right? Still Alice. Still Alice. That's the the sequel is just Alice. <laughs> oh God! Considering how that movie ends, I I don't know if I could sit through a sequel. Oh, oh boy! Sorry. If That's that a joke sad was movie. Uh, <laughs> if that was a mean joke, I didn't mean it. No, no, no. Know what you, that movie's about? <laughs> oh, have you never seen Still Alice? <laughs> no, no. Oh, no. it's about a it's about a woman who's suffering from uh, early onset Alzheimer's. Oh, okay. And she's basically losing her mind for the in- entirety of the film. And spoilers: uh, her mind doesn't come back at the end. <laughs> Okay. But Julianne Moore is wonderful as always, and she was very deserving of that Oscar. Even though I think at the time it felt like a little bit of a lifetime achievement thing, uh, she's she's quite excellent in it. Uh, next is a very high profile movie that it seems like everybody agrees is great. It's it sounds like it's not groundbreaking, but then again, maybe not every movie has to be, and that's uh, Ford versus Ferrari, which I believe screened at both Telluride and Toronto. Yeah, and uh, yeah, pretty yeah general consensus uh, supposed to be great. It's gonna be fun. James Mangold uh, movie. I'm certainly looking forward to. But uh, yeah, it seems like kind of commercial. Maybe not not too artsy, but uh, still a good time. It, it falls in the category of like movies we want more of, but we'll probably get less of. Unfor you know, big studio star driven period piece, true story, but uh, also a bit of an endangered species. And thank goodness we have guys like James Mangold who can really play the game on the studio level. You know, like can do Logan. And can do 310 to Yuma, but can also do, you know, Walk the Line and Ford versus Ferrari. And, you know, this high-profile Oscar bait stuff that seems to work out. He's, he's I, just such a talented guy. I love James Mangold. Me too. I bet this movie makes a lot of money. Let's hope so. We need it to. Damon and Bale will, will draw enough, too. I, I think this is going to do well. And for that reason, this seems like a pretty surefire no one's upset lock for a best picture nomination 100 as a matter of fact probably the first i'd say legitimate lock uh so far in all the films that we've discussed next is a film that seemed like a lock up until about two weeks ago and now is no longer part of the conversation but we have to bring it up and that is the goldfinch yeah i never thought it was a lock ansel elgort is a piece of shit i'm gonna say it right now wow hate that guy just go read the series of articles on ansel elgort on uh, jezebel you know, if, if you want to know about who this guy is, he's not like he's not like an evil guy. He's just really obnoxious. Yeah, I, I had no faith in this movie from the beginning, and uh, I feel vindicated. Everybody who has read the book has echoed the same sentiment that it is basically unfilmable. The fact that they chose to do it this way, as opposed to a very en vogue way of adapting uh, literature these days, you know, the limited series model, it seems like it would have completely made sense you know do the sharp objects thing on hbo right yeah it seems perfect for hbo i don't know why they didn't and you know and now they're gonna have to lick their wounds because this movie is gonna be one of the biggest flops of the year uh yeah i mean it already is epic epic flop uh next is the aforementioned harriet which everybody seems to say is fine you know i believe it's it's directed by cassie lemons who's you know a very the very talented uh, director of eve's bayou amongst other things and it, it seemed like if if they really could have found a provocative way to tackle this material, it should have been a slam dunk, but it sounds like it's just fine. Pretty uh, paint-by-numbers biopic is what it sounds like, which, you know, I, I understand the dilemma because there hasn't been a movie made about Harriet Tubman, so take a lot of faith to to try something not straight ahead. And, you know, we've seen success with straight-ahead biopics with Walk the Line and Bohemian Rhapsody and all that stuff, so I understand the in- inclination, but... Uh, yeah, sounds like this is not a dud, but nothing that anyone's getting excited about. This will be shown in high school history classes sure. and yes. for for decades. Right. Yes. Maybe it'll replace Glory as uh, as a thing that gets shown in high, high school history. Uh, next up is a movie I'm very excited for, directed by the aforementioned Terrence Malick, premiered at Cannes and then recently screened at both Telluride and Toronto. And people seem to be quite taken with it. And that's A Hidden Life. Do they seem quite taken with it? Everybody seems to be impressed with it. it it is not something people are passionate about let's put it that way so yeah it will be interesting to see whether it does find an audience and find a spot in the best picture conversation because everybody seems 
really am impressed by it, but it's, you know, it's going to be long and it's going to be contemplative. You know, it's a Malick movie, so yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be for everyone's taste. But um, my friend Haley, who works at the Telluride Film Festival, called me immediately after the screening the other night and just was so effusive about it. Like she just was over the moon. She was so impressed by it. And I am super excited about it because I'm, I'm in the pocket for Malick, particularly late period Malick. Yeah, so. I've lost faith in late period Malick, but <laughs> sounds um, like this is a bit of a return to form. You know, it's certainly much more thin red line than song to song, for example, which is good. Um, and it seems like he's moving even further that way with his next movie. I forget what it's about, but it seems even more straight ahead. Yeah, I, I just I don't I don't see this as being an awards contender at all. I think people are sort of uh, out on Malick after the last two. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I've got quite a bit of faith in this. I just think the subject matter's there. I think we're ready to love Malick again. And uh, I don't know, the trailers, I, I just find haunting and interesting. And it stars August Deal, who's somebody that I will always associate with in Glorious Bastards, where he plays a very scary Nazi. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see him flip to the, for the other to the other team this time around, right? Yeah. I will, uh, I'll bet you $10 this gets no Oscar nominations. No Oscar, not a single one. Not a single one. I'll take that bet. All right, mark it. Book you heard it. it here first, guys. Um, next up is uh, Honey Boy, uh, Shia LaBeouf penned autobiographical dramedy it looks like where he's basically playing his own father yeah came out to a lot of like respectful reviews at sundance and it seems like uh toronto critics felt the same way about it but labeouf is not a lock for supporting actor or no. for his screenplay here it seems like it might just be a little too small might get some independent uh, spirit award nominations sure. you know our our mutual friend uh Co Messiah gave a very succinct uh, B plus review to this movie. Oh, he saw it at Sundance. Yeah, sort of echoing these exact sentiments. That is just, just fine. It's 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 pretty good, but nothing anyone's getting terribly excited about. A movie that people are getting really excited about, and I can't quite figure out why, because this is the only film on the list that I've seen um, and wasn't crazy about it. Is Hustlers. Which yeah. people just went, they just went nuts for this at Toronto, and everybody's talking about uh, Jennifer Lopez getting her, you know, her first Oscar nomination in the supporting category, and I, I just don't see it. I think this movie is a solid B minus. Thought it was fine. I didn't think it yeah. was anything special. I haven't seen it. My little brother saw it and kind of hated it. Mm -hmm. My girlfriend saw it and she liked it a lot, or liked it some. Didn't love it. Yeah, it's it's getting really interesting responses, and you know the Toronto thing was was sort of mind blowing. People yeah. went apeshit over it. I don't, I don't know what it was about that those Toronto screenings, but it didn't seem like this was a movie that had Oscar ambitions or made with you know awards on the brain. And maybe they just sort of fell into something. But I wouldn't be surprised to see this sort of uh, fade away as we get further and further into Oscar season. I mean. Jennifer Lopez probably will get a Golden Globe nomination, I would imagine. I, Absolutely. I, yeah, I would, I would call that a lock for the Globe. Certainly not a lock for the Oscars. I actually went and saw it at a uh, quote-unquote rowdy screening at the uh, Alamo Drafthouse here in Los Angeles, the brand-new Alamo Drafthouse location. And uh, usually they, you know, they want you to be quiet. They want you to you know, not be too boisterous <laughs> during screenings. But this was a, a rowdy screening where they basically had like a stand-up comedian come in and introduce the film and warm up the crowd beforehand. And then, then they handed out funny money, fake dollar bills to everybody so that you could make it rain during the screening. Ooh, fun. <laughs> and to be perfectly honest, it wasn't that rowdy. And I don't think this movie is as rowdy and as much fun as the subject matter or the trailers or the Toronto response would lead you to believe. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Uh, next up, this is going to be an interesting one. Your Toronto audience, I'd say a surprise Toronto audience award winner, Jojo Rabbit, which has completely divided people. Not unlike Green Book. Not unlike Green Book and not unlike, well, I was going to say, it's kind of similar to the Cannes Film Festival reviews of Inglorious Bastards. Okay. When the critic reviews came out, I was very disappointed because this was one of the movies I looked forward to uh, most this year. I mean, Taika Waititi doing a Nazi comedy and playing Hitler. With, yeah, and, and then the audience gave it the award. So it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around what this movie is actually going to be once it releases wide. Maybe it's just going to make a lot of money and get no nominations. But, uh, you know, this could be a stealth contender, like you said, like Green Book. I mean, it can't not be considered a front runner at this point right i mean it's that that audience award is predictive and green book won it last year you know slumdog millionaire won it 12 i mean it's 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 a thing so as much as critics seem to be divided about this and as 
as offensive as some people have found the film, it needs to be taken seriously as a contender. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm you know it, things are predictive until they're not. So you know it's not not a huge sample size to go on really. I, I'm curious to how 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 it plays out. Uh, I I can't wait to see it and make up my own damn mind. I'm glad that these that this film and the next film on this list lined up alphabetically because this would be the other highly controversial film that has already won a major award and a major bellwether, uh, which is the Golden Lion winner from Venice, Todd Phillips' Joker, Mm -hmm. which shockingly was not picked up by anybody in our Fantasy Film League as of this afternoon, which really surprised me when I realized that nobody had grabbed it. We got to think of this as kind of a lock at this point, right? Unless Unless people, you know, completely reject this film i have never been more worried about a movie coming out matt in my entire life Uh, in in terms of like people rioting (laughs) in the lobbies and stuff not rioting, just the amount of op-eds we're gonna have to endure over this thing well that but also like this uh, this could be empowering to a group of people we don't want to be empowered you know like i i do worry what this movie is going to do and and how big of it because this is going to be a huge fucking deal in you know in two weeks the op-eds are going to be crazy yep and people are going to go absolutely ape shit for this movie it's gonna make so much money and so i don't know what that controversy will bring about but there you know i could see a world where there is sort of a backlash and this becomes too incendiary for awards people to even consider right the fact that it chose to go to venice instead of telluride and the fact that the you know, the programmers from Venice before the festival even started were saying, like, this movie is an Oscar contender and we're so proud to be premiering it. And then it goes on to win the Golden Lion and all these American critics, many of whom, you know, express their dislike of the subject matter or even of Todd Phillips and his oeuvre have begrudgingly said in their reviews, like, I can't deny the fact that this is that the craft of this movie is really impressive. And I think it is potentially incendiary. And I think it is potentially dangerous and I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, conflicted about what it is saying, but I can't deny that this is an extraordinarily well-made movie with an incredible central performance. I've seen that sentiment echoed multiple times from critics who I really respect. So it has to be, t- we got to take this seriously. Of, of course we do. And it, it's, it's been the most interesting movie to read reviews of that I can remember in quite some time. Because like you said, there's so many really good critics who have been begrudgingly like... <laughs> lauding this movie saying i don't want to like this movie and this movie is extremely problematic but it's pretty fantastic nonetheless i was talking to my brother because there was a preview for it before ad astra previews are great we're talking about should we go see this like opening night cinerama and i had never had this feeling of like i don't want to be associated with it i don't want to be the kind of person who's seeing this movie opening night cinerama like i don't want to be in that crowd which is maybe i'm maybe i'm overblowing this maybe this i'm taking this too seriously but it's, it's a weird feeling and i'm i'm super curious and wary of what's gonna happen in two weeks yeah it's fascinating it's kind of unprecedented uh next on the list is a movie that will almost certainly get a nomination for its um lead performance but uh it sounds like it's another one of the films where the performance as good as it is doesn't lift the film to the echelon it needs to get to in order to be a best picture contender and that's judy starring Renee Zellweger in a bit of a comeback role, I would say, but it seems like it's it's truly the template of exactly. I mean, it's it's not unlike the Stella Alice thing, right? Where it's like, wow, yeah. this is a this is an actress who we really respect. I mean, Renee Zellweger already has an Oscar. It won't be as much of a lifetime achievement situation. It sounds like she's pretty much a lock for a movie that people weren't that crazy about. Yeah, uh, this yeah, I, I think you nailed it. This seems like the obvious. She gets a nomination. Nothing else gets a nomination. Done and done. Uh, the aforementioned Just Mercy, which is Destin Daniel Cretton's new film, which um, sounds like is a bit of a return to form after uh, his previous film uh, with Naomi Watts. I believe it was The Glass Castle. Does yeah, that sound right? A, with Woody, Har- right. Woody Harrelson and Naomi Watts that uh, people weren't crazy about. But people have said positive things about this film, particularly about Jamie Foxx and uh, Michael B. Jordan. But it sounds like it may not be substantive enough to be a true Best Picture contender. You know, maybe maybe it'll connect with audiences. It sounds like it's the kind of subject matter that could feel very relevant right now. Yeah, if this gains some box office momentum, I, I could see this getting getting something. But uh, my guess as of now is this sort of fades away. Next up is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, which everybody seems to have loved. And I'm sure will be a big hit. And it sounds like it's a hell of a lot of fun and may be potential, you know, screenwriting nominee contender. But it just seems like something this sort of popular, like a populist ensemble 
like this, uh, I feel we just usually don't see films like this in the best picture race, but I could be wrong again. If it's a, if it's a huge hit, who, who's to say, and I'm happy that this is the kind of film Ryan Johnson's making in between star Wars movies. I'm going to, I'm going to guarantee you this gets nominated for best picture. I mean, you picked it up, so you must have a lot of faith in it. Not only that, but this is going to make a lot of money because apparently it's just about the biggest crowd pleaser. The Academy will, you know, has respected some comedies and this seems not, totally superfluous and i think it's got a crazy performance by daniel craig that everyone seems to be head over heels on so i i think ryan johnson's gonna get a uh, screenplay nomination and i think this gonna be a best picture nomination um next up is a movie that is no longer part of the conversation uh, not unlike the goldfinch kind of came out to resoundingly negative reviews when it premiered at telluride i want to say and it's a shame because i was really really looking forward to this one and this i was hoping this was going to make it for a great double feature with that astra and that's lucy in the sky yeah uh, which is this i was fascinated by the subject matter it had a dynamite trailer it's got a wonderful cast uh, it sounds like it's just a big old tonal mess which is too bad it is too bad uh, you know i i I was hoping for big things for Noah Hawley. I really loved watching Legion. Fargo's really good too. Thought it was a talented dude. And, you know, it sounds like freshman director problem. You wanted to do a little too much. It just didn't work. I'm I'm really sad about it. It's, it's too bad. I, you know, I, I this was one of my most look forward to movies of the year. And uh, I, was, I was waiting for those reviews to come out and I was devastated. <laughs> I'm still super excited to see it because even if it is a mess, it sounds like it might be a fascinating mess. Yeah, but it's going to look cool. Certainly sure. no longer a Best Picture contender. Uh, next up, if somebody was to put a gun to my head right now and said, based on what I've heard and what I've read, what is the front runner for the Best Picture winner in uh, February of 2020, I'd say Marriage Story is at the top of that list. Yeah, man. People I, are crazy about this movie. People are going nuts about it. I, you know, I was kind of on it early and was tr- I was trying to sandbag and, and pick people up late in our fancy film draft. People had the same uh, inclination as I did. And it's interesting because Noah Baumbach hasn't received a ton of awards love over the years, despite, you know, having a lot of critically acclaimed movies. But he's only been nominated once for uh, for The Squid and the Whale, which I think is, you know, clearly his masterpiece. But it sounds like him returning to the same subject matter means that he's finally going to be like playing at the same level he was when he made The Squid and the Whale. Yeah. And with two big names as the leads, people... You know, apparently Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver are both kind of locks too to get nominated. It's I'm I'm pretty stoked on this movie, and it is. I was looking at the betting favorites right now. It is the odds-on favorite to win. Sure, yeah, for sure. It is. It is definitely the front runner, sight unseen. I I love Bombach. I love Scarlett. I love Adam Driver. I love Alan Alda. I love Laura Dern. I mean, I just love everybody involved, and I'm super duper invested in this subject matter. So I gotta say, I'm I'm very much looking forward to this. Next up is a movie that I was. Also very excited about and very invested in for a number of reasons because I'm super invested in Edward Norton's career trajectory, and that is his uh, sophomore directorial feature, Motherless Brooklyn, which came out to respectful reviews at uh, Telluride and will be the closing film at the New York Film Festival next week. But it sounds like it's another movie that's just fine. Just Just fine. Good, you know, well done, well directed. Great performances across the board from an impressive cast, and apparently Norton manages to uh, invoke this the Tourette syndrome of the lead character without crossing over into kind of like silly performative territory the way he did in something like The Score, for example, which is a yeah. terrible movie and a terrible performance <laughs> from him. But it sounds like he manages to tap dance his way through what could have been uh, you know, maybe an, an embarrassing performance sounds like he's actually quite good in it and i still have hopes that maybe that will be enough to put him in uh, best actor contention but it sounds like this might be a long shot for best picture which um, which i'm disappointed by yeah this is the cool thing about this year where you know there's a ton of contenders and it seems like it's gonna be you know really dynamite movie year and uh but what that means is we can sort of cross off the list movies that got a little more tepid responses than others. Like in, in other years, we could still see this as a borderline contender, but not now. I'm not completely turning my back on this movie based on, you know, its response at Telluride because, you know, the fact that it is a New York movie, the fact that it is the closing night film of the New York, I, I'm just, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how New York critics react to this film. And the fact that, you know, maybe it could be, you know, like the Inglorious Bastard situation you're talking about, where it just sure. needed to find the right audience. 
But yeah, you know, subject this kind of subject matter rarely gets, with the exception of your Chinatowns or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Movies like this rarely get nominated for Best Picture. But I, to me, it just it felt so perfect. You know, it's like it's it's the first film Norton has directed since Keeping the Faith, which is a movie I love. But that was you know what 17, 18, 16 years ago, something like that. He's had a rocky career in terms of coming right out of the gates with an Oscar nomination for Primal Fear, and then American History X and Fight Club, and you know it seemed like he was the the next Brando or whatever. And then he he was the kind of guy who was apparently so difficult to work with that I think he burned some bridges along the way. And this, to me, felt like a really interesting sort of comeback story for him. And I was very much hoping it was going to be a true triple threat situation where he was going to have a Best Picture nominee, get himself a screenplay nomination, and then potentially actor as well. Sounds like, unfortunately, um, that's not going to happen. Next up is a movie that uh, is probably a long shot for Best Picture, just based on the fact that it is a um, Spanish film. But the director, you know, Pedro Almodovar, is a legend. He's already won an Oscar. It sounds like this is the performance of Antonio Banderas's career, and that is uh, Pain and Glory. Yeah, it seems like this will be a foreign film nomination. Banderas has a really good shot at getting a Best Actor nomination, um, although that will be a very tough category this year. It's hard for, for a foreign film to make a dent uh, you know, in the Best Picture category. As far as the directing category goes, there is precedent for this because we had both Pavel Pawlikowski and Quran nominated in director for director last year. Yeah, that's true. But I, I feel like the competition this year is a little, little too tough. Well, this, this pairs really nicely with the next film on the list as well, which is a Korean film from the great Bong Joon-ho, Parasite, which was the Palme d'Or winner this year. And uh, sorry, this and Marriage Story, I would say, are the two most critically acclaimed films of the year and if it wasn't for the fact that it is a korean film this would also feel like a best picture front runner i mean i think there's still a pretty darn good chance it gets nominated for best picture or that bong joon ho at least gets nominated yeah i think it's gonna get nominated i think the subject matter is really on point for our times and i you know it, it seems like it's just absolutely beloved i mean the reviews couldn't be more stellar so take away what i said about paying glory and just uh remember Bong Joon. I mean, it'd be so cool to have Bong Joon Ho get nominated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people aren't nearly as taken with Pain and Gold. I mean, everybody loves Banderas's performance, and they say that it is one of the best Almodovar, Almodovar films in many, many years. But people aren't nearly as taken with the film as they are by the central performance. Whereas Parasite, it just. I mean, I just keep hearing the word masterpiece used about this thing, right? And he is such a respected. Guy. hopefully it will do something at the box office and people will be talking about it like I, I could see it just not not get gaining any traction as a foreign film but uh, hopefully that's not the case next up is uh, a movie that apparently is quite a bit of fun uh, which is a surprise considering the subject matter and apparently has two just wonderful performances at the center uh, which is not a surprise because obviously and uh, Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price are wonderful actors, and the idea of seeing them hanging out, drinking coffee, having philosophical conversations for two hours sounds like uh, a very pleasant experience, and that's The Two Popes. Everyone seemed kind of surprised in their reviews of this movie about uh, what it sort of ended up being. Um, yeah, it, it's not it's not all that dramatic. It's just two buddy guys movie. at yeah buddy movie and the a sort of transitional period, obviously, for both of them. I feel like it's not going to be substantive enough to, you know, to get much awards traction. But, you know, either of those two performances, I think, maybe have a good shot, right? Price more so than Hopkins. From from what I've read, it's not even necessarily that, that Price is better or whatever that means, but just that the film is a little more centered on him. Sure. And, uh, and it seems like Hopkins kind of s- sort of steps back and lets him sort of rise to, to prominence. And it seems like... After you know the wife last year, um, and how good Price was in that movie, and how he just you know he's never been nominated. He's such a you know respected actor with such an incredible filmography. Seems like the right time, right? Sure, yeah. I'll, I'll plant a flag with Price. I've always loved Price. And then you get the Safdie brothers' uncut gems, which I think is a would be a long shot for best picture consideration given the subject matter. <laughs> what an unpleasant experience <laughs> watching yes. this movie is. Can't I can't wait for this movie. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you, you got to, I mean, you have to take Adam Sandler's prospects seriously, right? Seems like the right time. And apparently Kevin Garnett is fantastic as <laughs> yeah. himself in this movie. I've heard multiple critics say, you know, not not that this is a, a robust category to be in, but best performance uh, by a basketball player ever in a movie. Ever better than Ray Allen, huh? All right. yeah, that's, that's what they say, you know, better than LeBron. Uh, and, and he's playing himself, right? Isn't he? Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, he, he he's playing himself. I'm not a big Safety Brothers guy, which I know is you know somewhat sacrilegious in certain circles. I, I you know I thought Good Time was kind of fun. I kind of hate the way that movie ends. I feel like it sort of like lost its nerve in the third act. I agree. Uh, 
but, but there's I, I, yeah. you know there's there's things there's things to like about that movie, not the least of which is how incre- imp- incredible the aforementioned Robert Pattinson is in it. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of lukewarm on the Safties, but I do find this subject matter to be quite intriguing. Yeah, that'll be a fun movie to watch. I can't wait. And last is uh, is Waves, which is Trey Edward Schultz's third feature, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, this is a movie that was just not really on my radar up until about the last month when it started getting a lot of um, attention at these festivals. And it has been pretty divisive. I mean, some people are super passionate about it and some people are saying it's quite overrated. So I'm intrigued. I'm sort of staying away from spoilers from this movie. The response has been interesting. A lot of people saying, oh, this is a clear sort of front runner, came out of nowhere. Uh, but other people have been a little little more lukewarm on it. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you think it's it, it's got a chance? It looks to me like a clear Independent Spirit Awards favorite yeah. situation, you know? Maybe a little love for Sterling K. Brown. Uh, if, if he has a big enough part, I think he's wonderful. He may very well win another Emmy tonight. But it seems like he's probably the, the biggest contender to emerge from the film. Of all these movies we just talked about, I mean, we have a, a, a big list of films that we think are on the cusp, if not locks, for Best Picture nominees, right? I mean, Marriage Story, whether you think of Ad Astra, Joker, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Knives Out, maybe... Jojo Rabbit, Ford vs. Ferrari, Parasite. I mean, you, you didn't mention The Report or uh, what's the Scott the, the, one? The Laundromat or The Report. Yeah, it seems like, again, you know, respect but not passion. But And we have a bunch of movies that haven't even come out yet that we haven't seen, you know? Yeah, the, the most important ones being, I'd say, The Irishman, Little Women, Dark Waters, Bombshell, Queen and Slim, and even The Rise of Skywalker I have on my short list, too, just, just well, in and, case. Well, in 1917. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, 1917, of course. Sam Mendy's new film. Yeah, shot by Roger Deakins, apparently in one take. That's the rumor. Pretty exciting. Yeah, this is turning out to be a pretty spectacular year for movies, and it's going to be an interesting thing. No clear, I mean, marriage story, maybe, I guess we could say, is the is the clear frontrunner right now. But, you know, The Irishman could be absolutely incredible. We'll know next week, I believe. It opens the, it's, it's opening the New York Film Festival next week, so. Do you see that, see that runtime? Three hours and 40 minutes or something? Like pushing four hours? Is that right? I think three hours and 19 minutes. Okay. Or or 320. This whole awards conversation, you know, it took a long time to get started. I mean, there basically was nothing for the first eight months of the year. But uh, but now we're really, really ramping up and things are getting very exciting. The next month is going to be quite interesting. The next two months are going to be quite interesting, I'd say. Yeah. And what's uh, what do we kick it off with? We got Joker in two weeks. Knives Out. Pretty soon after that i believe i mean i was hoping that this weekend with the opening of ad astro would be you know kind of like the the starter pistol <laughs> it is it is season, it's gonna get nominated i'm telling you we're planting a flag and we're crossing our fingers if you need me i'll be over here reciting my new mantra i will focus on the essential to the exclusion of all else agreed um until next time this has been we like movies say goodbye man goodbye <laughs>